guys, I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. And welcome to the 13th episode of a Tap on the Wrist podcast. Lucky number 13. We have made it. We've made it. I mean, I feel I feel confident that it's it is lucky. Like we're gonna make it past 13. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> the last episode this is it. ever. <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, we've recorded more episodes. Yeah. Because, you know, sorry Spoiler guys. Alert. Spoiler, <laughs> we've recorded some in advance, but well, I mean, so the, ho- <laughs> the holidays are coming up, so yes. things get so busy. They do. And we want to make sure that we're releasing episodes every week, so we do record a little bit ahead of time. But you know why this is Lucky 13? Why? Because we got our stickers today. We did. We ordered new, well, I guess not new, it's like our first official yeah. podcast swag. And we ordered some stickers. They're so cute. They're little tiny alcohol bottles. And I love them so much. I'm, the first thing they did when they, like, I opened my mailbox and I was like, what is this package? This is weird. Because I forgot I ordered them. Uh And I ripped open the package and I took them out and I was like, so excited. And I immediately opened it and immediately stuck it on the back of my phone. Which is what I also did when, Which you, is, when you showed them to me. I handed one to Vanessa, and she immediately opened it and stuck it on the back of her phone as well. So now we have twinning stickers. Yep. People, you know, can awkwardly stare at the back of my phone when I'm on the subway now, and maybe they'll be like, hey, I wonder what that is. Right. And then look it up. I hope so. Look up our social media, because that's on here. Yes. Was that a smooth transition? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was good. So you can find pictures of our stickers on social media, uh-huh. Instagram and Twitter. We are at a tap on the wrist. Yep. And you know, like we always say, you can email us at tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. We're, We're just waiting. No, we got a couple. We did. We did. We are going to be, I think, trying to do some giveaways soon. So make sure you are following us on social media to be the first to hear about them. And we are. I thought that's what <laughs> Okay, well, Laura is giving <laughs> giving away stickers on social media. I want all of them. I want to put all 200 <laughs> all over my product. <laughs> She's just going to cover every laptop, yeah. every, like, her work cube at work. It's yep. just going to be tap on the wrist stickers. Exactly. That's what you got them for, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're really excited. I, it just... I mean, I know that the podcast feels real, but still, it's like every time we make one of these steps, it feels even more real. Yeah. So, like, hitting a certain number of followers on social media, ordering stickers, like, it keeps growing and getting, you know, bigger and better, and we're just so thankful that you guys are still listening. Yes. Also, I like that originally our plan was to order business cards, and then we were like, no, fuck that, stickers. (laughs) Stickers. Because a business card I'm going to throw away. Yeah. Like, me personally, if someone gives me a business card, if it's not a business, I'm like, like, if it's not someone I have to contact, Uh I'm not keeping that business card. Right. Most likely, even if I have to contact you, I'm putting your number in my phone. Yeah. And not keeping the business card. But a sticker, I can put on a water bottle, on a laptop case, on a journal, on a planner. You can literally put a sticker anywhere. So, make sure... You're checking our social media because we're going to be giving away stickers and you don't want to miss them. No. I don't have... I'm sorry. We're like really... We're, we're chatting a lot. We didn't even say what this episode's about yet, I don't think. <laughs> I know. 
So, happy Thanksgiving week. Yeah, Thanksgiving, guys. (laughs) Our stories this week are about Thanksgiving, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear them. Yeah, they're very different. Yes, Vanessa and I took the theme of Thanksgiving, and we went very, it was two paths. Yeah, two very different paths. Mine was the much stranger one. It's a real downer. And mine then, you know, boosts you up. You leave on a happy note ready for all that Thanksgiving in two days. Exactly. I feel like I'm constantly saying that my story is a downer and that you have to go second to make people feel better. (laughs) Well, you don't want to leave everyone in a sad mood, so it's fine. At least I'm thinking of people in that sense. I don't, I don't, apparently I don't care about telling them a sad story, but I'm like, I want you to leave happy. Yes. All right, well, get ready for this, guys. It's an episode. Yes. (laughs) All right. I picked a story to really get us into the holiday spirit. A mass murder on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Okay. It's like what everyone's thinking around the table, but no one acts on it. You found someone who did. Yeah. Um, It's it's a real downer. You just like murder. I do, I guess. So, my story takes place on November 27th, 1980, Thanksgiving Day, in Reno, Nevada. And it's Nothing good happens in Nevada. Oh, no. Sorry, (laughs) Nevada listeners. (laughs) If there are any. I feel like there's a lot of things that happen bad. And, I mean, like, most things in Vegas are bad. (laughs) Yeah, but also fun. Yeah. Like, (laughs) what happens in Nevada stays in Nevada. (laughs) Not this. Okay. So, it's the story of a woman named Priscilla Joyce Ford, who's a female mass murderer, which I feel like is pretty rare to hear about, at least. For sure. Um, I actually had to do, like, a pretty deep dive into Google to, like, even find the story. But I thought it was interesting, and the alcohol tie-in, just because it'll take me a little while to get there, is that she was intoxicated at the time of the murders. Okay. So, Priscilla Ford was born in... Oh, and she had three names. Did you notice? Oh. Priscilla Joyce Ford. Although she's a mass murderer, not a serial killer. Yeah. Anyway, she was born in Barron Springs, Michigan on February 10th, 1929. In 1957, despite the fact that she only had a high school level education, Ford became a teacher at a one-room school in Michigan. And she was the first black teacher in the area, which is like a notable accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And after some initial reservations about her, she seemed to become well-liked by the school board and stayed on for several years. She eventually got her bachelor's degree in education in 1966. And I couldn't find a lot of info about this. There was, like, a line on Wikipedia about it and then another, like, one-line reference to it in an article that I read by D. Brian Burghart. But... Apparently, Ford shot her her husband and herself in 1957. Obviously, not fatally to herself, but like fatally to him. And no charge on to get her teaching degree. (laughs) Well, yeah, no charges were filed because it was considered self defense on her part. I just find it kind of strange that she shot her husband and started teaching in the same year. Like they were both 1957, so like I'm not 100% sure on those dates. Right. Or, like, really what the situation was. Because, again, there was, like, really no other charges filed. Yeah, that's Yeah. But, yeah, I found that. So I thought I'd include it just in case 
I don't know. (laughs) In case it comes back later when she becomes a mass murderer? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that I saw it. Okay. Okay, so according to Murderpedia, around, which I really like to say, I don't know why, Murderpedia. It's great. Around 1970, Ford's family and friends started to notice some odd behavior from her. At this point, she was living in Buffalo, New York, and she began to tell people that she was seeing her dead husband across the street from her home, okay. the one that she shot. Okay. And she also started talking about having the souls of Adam, like of Adam and Eve from the Bible, mm-hmm. and Jesus within her. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. She's really... Um, yeah. Uh, having some issues. Yeah. A couple years later, in 1972, her son returned home from the army... And he said that Ford was both delusional and an alcoholic. In the next year, 1973, she moved to Reno. And she, while there, she did the right thing and she voluntarily committed herself to the Nevada Mental Health Institute. There, she was diagnosed with passive-aggressive personality and hysterical episodes. She was released, though. And in 1974, she was arrested for trespassing and assault. And her 11-year-old daughter... 11-year-old daughter, Winter Scott, was taken away by social workers and placed in a foster home. Which would be normal in that situation to protect the child, but Ford considered it to be a kidnapping. Oh. She thought that her daughter was kidnapped from her, not that it was like the government intervening. Right. So, I wanted to bring up one more example to kind of explain her mental state. One of the articles I read talked about a time in 1978 where she attempted to sue the leadership of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for half a billion dollars because she claimed that she was America's only authorized divinity. Okay. Obviously, it was not successful. Wow. Yeah. So this is just like kind of all showing her mental state. Right. She eventually moved back to New York and then moved around a bit more. She went to Maine before she eventually went back to Reno. And while there, she got a job as a package wrapper at Macy's because it was November. So she never got her daughter back? No. So when she went back to Reno, she told people that it was to find her missing daughter, Winter. Okay. First off, I feel like Winter is a very progressive name for... Like the 1970s. Yes, and it's spelled... It's with a Y, isn't it? Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> exactly. I knew it. Which is, you're right, for like that time period. I feel like it's pretty common now to have like names like that, you know, right. like Autumn and... But yeah, I feel like back then that, that is kind of a unique name. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm I didn't also think trying, about it till you I'm trying it. to put it in perspective. So like, in the 70s, you said she was born in like 1929. So, I mean, she's... In her 50s. Yeah. Or, maybe no, 60s. 40s. 40s. Oh, 40s? I can't math right now. Yeah. Okay. So. But, like, she's not young. Right. So, like I said, she was, she said that she was in Reno to find her missing daughter. However, it was discovered later that officials had actually been trying to contact her to let her know Winter's whereabouts. And... Also, later testimony showed that she knew exactly where her daughter was, which was in L.A. with relatives. Oh. But she was claiming that 
the, her daughter was missing and kidnapped uh-huh. and she needed to find her. So prior to going back to Reno, Ford had been quoted as saying, the people of Reno will pay in death for taking her daughter. And she told an attorney while she was in Maine in 79 that she would run down pedestrians if he did not help her get her daughter back. Mm. That's exactly what she did in November of 1980 on Thanksgiving. So she was 51 at the time. That's why in the 70s, I assumed she was in her 40s. She got in her 1974 Lincoln Continental and drove from her home to downtown Reno while she had a blood alcohol rate of 0.162, which was above the legal limit to drive. She was described as buzz, buzzed, and she had been drinking emerald dry wine, and all she had eaten was some crackers. Because she was Jesus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at around 2.59 p.m. in the afternoon on Thanksgiving, Ford jumped to the curb, at Virginia Street in her Lincoln. She was driving at about 20 miles an hour and then she accelerated to 40 miles an hour while driving driving down a crowded sidewalk. She drove down for about 100 feet, then she crossed to 2nd Street Crosswalk where she drove for about 322 feet before driving back to Virginia Street where she st- was stopped a couple blocks later because there was a red light in traffic so she couldn't go any further. That's terrifying. Yep. So it was about five blocks total, and in her wake, she left twisted street signs, crushed newspaper vending boxes, a knocked-over fire call box, and most importantly, and most terribly, she managed to kill six people. Oh, my goodness. Five of which died immediately, and she injured 23 others. So one of... Yeah. One of the articles I read noted that the that the car she was driving carried a woman's body on its hood for the length of a full city block while she was mowing down other people, which is like so like such a horrible image to picture. Right. But when she got stopped, she didn't re- she was arrested and didn't resist. Well, so, there's no denying. Yeah, what she had just done. There's like no way around that. So a Reno resident named Marty Edmonds Edmondson describes the incident saying she came right at us she came right at us with a body still on the hood of the car and she looked like she was looking for someone else to hit and a woman who's visiting from canada said it looked as though someone had gone through the streets with a lawnmower mowing down people it was like a battlefield there were bodies all over the place it's terrifying it is yeah. i i can't i mean i actually am surprised that the number was so low on like a, sh- yeah. a street like that on Thanksgiving, I mean. Well, I guess maybe a lot of people were with their families. Yeah, I also think a lot of people kind of like do family thing, like go out for walks and mm-hmm. like you know spend family time. Yeah. Out and about, so. I just, I don't know. I'm glad. I'm like. Not glad that they died. I, no, but no, no, no. That's, that that's why yeah. I stopped myself. Glad that it was. I'm glad that it was higher. a smaller number because yeah. I could see it being a much larger number. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was around 30 people total that she hit. Right. Only, but only, well, seven. It may have been seven that died, but well, she was only charged for six. Okay. So, John Oakes, who was the deputy district attorney and who was asked to keep an eye on Ford, had a couple of quotes about the incident as well that I wanted to read. 
So his first quote says, I was dispatched down to a hit and run. I thought they were kidding me. It's Thanksgiving. I got downtown and it was a fucking war zone. There are bodies and shit everywhere. It was carnage. People were crying and ambulances were responding. It was a clusterfuck. Wow. Aggressive. <laughs> I was like, it's when pretty, I was reading it, I was like. It's a pretty direct quote. I was like, damn, they kept in the curses and everything. Surprising. It was an online publication, so I guess they didn't have to worry about. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so he also said that while he was guarding Ford, she looked at me, quote, she looked at me very point blank and said, how many people did I kill? I said, five or six. She said, good. She was very placid, like just any other day, very matter of fact. She was acting self-righteous, like she was justified in what she did. We couldn't figure out why at the time. Another officer stated that while Ford was waiting for tests to determine her blood's alcohol and drug content, she said, the more dead, the better. And she referred to her victims as beasts and pigs. Wow. Yeah, pretty harsh. It's crazy that she would feel that way towards just civilians in the area. Yeah. When it's not the civilians that, well, quote unquote, took her daughter. I feel like she felt like, I mean, she said the people of Reno will pay, you yeah. know, before she went. So it almost seems like she blamed the whole, the whole city. city, which is awful. In January of 1981, a judge determined that Ford wasn't fit to stand trial and sent her for mental health treatment. But then on August 4th, 1981, I guess after she had received some treatment, she was found competent for trial. She entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, of course. And the trial began on November 12th of 1981, so almost like a year after the incident. In Reno? I think so, yes. In Nevada, for sure. Mm -hmm. So one of the articles I read noted that, like I said, that seven people had actually died as a result of the incident, but she was only charged with six, something to do with issues involved in changing the murder indictment, but it didn't, like, specify what beyond that. So maybe it was, like, someone died of their injuries much later. Yeah. But it'd be harder to... Prove... I guess, or well, proven conjunction. It's probably like yeah. they'd already indicted her on six murders. Uh, so it, the process would start over again. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. So at first Ford claims that she committed the murders to get attention to help find her daughter. Which later when it was realized that she probably knew exactly where her daughter was. She changed her story and said her car had some kind of me- mechanical malfunction. Bullshit. Yes. Like, like serious <laughs> bullshit. Because she had already talked about the fact that she was proud of killing people. So, at some point after her arrest, she claimed that the voice of Joan Kennedy, who is the <laughs> wife of Senator Edward Kennedy, uh-huh. had told her to commit the crimes. Oh, man. The voice told her to, quote, just run through a whole bunch of people and kill everyone. Sounds just like Joan. Mm-hmm. And an officer said during her trial that Ford had told him, quote, I am a New York teacher. I'm tired of life. I want attention. I'm sick of problems. In June 1980, a voice told me to drive through a crowd at a theater and kill as many people as possible. That voice, again, being the voice of Joan Kennedy. So, I mean, I relate to being a New York teacher and being tired. Yeah. But... 
There's no voices telling me to kill people. Yeah. And if there were, I think I would just, you know, commit myself instead of following Which she through. did once, but it seems mm-hmm. like they let her out pretty quickly. Right. Which is very unfortunate that, like, they didn't give her further well, medical attention. I know. When you were saying, like, oh, so, like, in November, a year after she, like, she had served the time in the mental... Yeah. Facility and been found competent enough to go to trial. I just that was like six months. Yeah, but the I'm I'm talking about like back before that. No, I know because she was she committed herself. It said in seventy three, but then by seventy four she was out committing a crime. So like right, she clearly needed more help. I just I feel like there needs to be better documentation of like previous mental history and like. If someone is on their third or fourth treatment, maybe we don't let them out as quickly as possible because, I mean, I do think when you go into facilities like that, you do kind of adjust, especially if it's like your third or fourth time, you know how to act and you know the way to answer certain questions, you know what I mean, to to be found competent. Mm -hmm. I don't 100% know. I've never gone to one of these facilities so I can't speak from experience right and I don't want to undermine what you know someone has gone through right but I just feel like the the more you go into treatment like this the mm-hmm. better you understand how to get out of treatment like yeah this. yeah I just it, I just wish she could have gotten more help it would have saved six lot or seven lives right um so during her trial, Ford claimed to be Jesus Christ, which just, I don't even understand how she was, I, I read a little bit about why she was still competent to stand trial, even if she wasn't mentally stable, but I just don't get it. I mean, of course, she deserves to be convicted of her crimes, but I was when people start talking about the fact that they're Jesus Christ, clearly they shouldn't be right on the stand. Of course not talking about themselves. So one article I read quoted her as saying, "I am human and I am divine. I don't like it any more than anyone else does. I don't want to be divine." Another article quoted her as saying, "I am the state of minds that I am in heaven." And then she told the jurors that she was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. After this, the prosecutor showed her pictures of each of the dead victims and asked, were you as happy as you could be in an heavenly state when you ran into this person when showing each photo? And she replied, yes, to each. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the daughter that she had been claimed to be looking for, Winter Scott, took the stand and claimed that during her childhood, her mother taught her how to smoke pot when she was nine. And talked about plans to have her artificially inseminated in order to bring another messiah through virgin birth. Oh. Yep. Wow. I'm so curious, and I I doubt that they've interviewed any of her students, but, like, what was she teaching in that classroom? I know. I mean, that was in the 50s, and her family and friends started saying they noticed odd behavior in the 70s, so I guess maybe it was, like, a later onset Right. Because the the school board apparently was, like, fond of her and thought she was doing a good job. So right. I guess it was, like, a later onset mental illness. It developed later in life. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Um, so the Reno Evening Gazette reported that Winter said on trial, she, quote, she talked about Jesus Christ, about her being Jesus Christ, and about me being Jesus Christ. She talked to my aunt about me being artificially inseminated to bear Jesus Christ. So, like, if she was telling other people this, I wonder how Winter wasn't taken away even sooner. Right. You know? It's it just crazy. seems like the system kind of failed a little bit. At 100%. So, in... 1982, on either March 28th or March 29th, different sources gave both dates, after being found guilty of murdering six people and attempting to murder 23 others, Ford was sentenced to death in Nevada's gas chamber. According to one of the articles I read, the trial was at the time the longest and most expensive in Reno's history. Wow. So after that, Ford tried and failed at several appeals while she was waiting on death row in Nevada before eventually dying on January 29th, 2005 at the age of 75 after suffering from emphysema. So she was never actually executed. She just died died on death row. Wow, 2005. Yeah. 75 years old. Wow. So after her death, Washoe County Assistant District Attorney John Helzer was quoted as saying... It was such a tragedy for so many people. The fact they had to relive that case, appeal after appeal. Her death will probably bring some peace to those people. She should have been executed a long time ago. He also said she was angry that day of the killings. She stayed angry and probably died angry. And that is the story of the mass murderer, female mass murderer, which is, again, so rare. It's, yeah, for, I feel like, you to hear about, um, and I got, I think I said, I got most of my information from Murderpedia, uh, they had a really, like, useful timeline of Ford's life, like, leading up to the incident, which is where I found out a lot about her past, and there were also a couple of articles, one called Death Row Inmate Ford Dies from the Las Vegas Review Journal, and the article that I had mentioned earlier by D. Brian Burghart, which was called The Day Terror Came Downtown from newsreview.com. That was the article that had the quote with curses in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it is so terrible. It's thankful that, like, there's not more, like, Thanksgiving Day crimes. Like, I know uh-huh. you, you had to do, like, a pretty deep dive to find... Yeah, no, I definitely found others. Yeah, there it, are some. It's just that um, a lot of them didn't have enough information right. or weren't linked to alcohol somehow. Yeah. But there there actually have been a decent amount, which is Well, I think there's great. crimes every single day, but we yeah. like to think holidays are, like, free from tragedy because you're supposed They're to be They're so happy and you're with your family. And, yeah, I actually also before I found this story, was looking at Black Friday, because I was like, well, it's the day after Thanksgiving. Oh, that would have been good. But a lot of it was just, like, people being trampled. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny either, but, like, no. I don't know why I laughed. <laughs> just the idea that people, like, want those toys. So bad. So bad that they're willing to, like, trample over other people. I just it's don't understand awful. it. Yeah. I just don't. I don't think that there's anything that I would ever want that badly. No, I remember when I was a kid and, like, Tickle Me Elmo was 
like the toy one yeah. year. I don't. It was one year in the nineties, mm-hmm. and it was all everyone talked about, and people were like robbing. Yep. People, it, it was just crazy. It was. I remember that too. It was like complete madness over this one. I feel dumb like toy that was pre online shopping. Yeah. And so you actually had to like physically do some work and show up at a store, right, to buy something, and so. I think that online shopping has, I, I like. I feel like it's there's not crazes like that as right. severe as there used to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't go out on Black Friday. I just wait for Cyber Monday. I usually. really like Small Business Saturday. Oh yes, I like Small Business Saturday too. I try and hit up our local, our local boutiques that day. Yeah, but trying to bring it around to a positive thing after yeah, yeah. negativity. Yeah, <laughs> shop local. <laughs> Mine's not so much of a downer. Good. That's why I thought you should go second. <laughs> it's a little bit more historical, actually. Okay. We're going back. Way back. Way back. To the very first Thanksgiving. Okay. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, how, what's your knowledge of um, the pilgrims? Mayflower. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Native Americans, and they probably weren't so nice to them. I don't Did They weren't actually so bad, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna start at the very beginning, uh, the year sixteen twenty, and I'm not gonna go into too much because I want to get to like us actually getting to America and the first Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. But in September of sixteen twenty, a group of a hundred and thirty people got on board um, the Mayflower and headed for America. It's actually the second attempt. There was an earlier attempt with two ships, and one ship didn't make it. So. In September of 1620, they board the Mayflower and they head to America looking for a new life and hoping to start a colony that is free from persecution and lets people practice the religions that they want, Mm -hmm. um, which is something they were not getting in England and in most of Europe at the time. So, like we've heard um, in every history class since second grade, the journey across the Atlantic was difficult. (laughs) Um... And it was. It was a crowded boat. They had extra people on board because they had condensed from two ships to one ship. Mm-hmm. And so it's the crew that was running the ship and all of the colonists who were going to settle this colony. So people got sick. They had to share food for the whole journey and make sure they had enough. They hit quite a few storms crossing the Atlantic. And it just wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. And at this time in England... Uh, Drinking water was not really their first choice because the water was so poor, because there was no water, uh, like filtration system Mm -hmm. or, I mean, basically, and I feel like we've talked about this in previous episodes, you know, people would throw out their trash and their chamber pots into the street and all of that sewage would run down into the rivers where that's where they were getting their drinking water. Mm -hmm. So water was really only what the poorest of poor in England would drink. And so anyone who had any money, even like low middle class, they were drinking beer and wine and liquor as their drink of choice right for every meal including children over water so the same is happening on the mayflower they're not bringing infested water with them on board for hydration they can't drink the salt water right so they stockpiled beer mainly um 
for the journey across the Atlantic. About one gallon per person per day. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, my story about the Brit about uh, the British sailors, where they had a gallon of beer a day, but it was right. the small beer. I wonder if this was small beer or regular beer. Oh. <laughs> they did have some wine and liquor. But it was quite expensive, and a lot of times the wine would spoil on the journey, so they mainly stuck to beer for this. They say that the beer on board was about 6% alcohol. So it wasn't small beer. Oh. Small beer was 1%, remember? We were like, oh, right, 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 because why would you, you wouldn't drink it. Right. Yeah. But this, they say it it was about 6%, and they used it for hydration, cooking, and the occasional bath. But no one really bathed on board the Mayflower. Bath? Like, I guess I guess they would use it more, like, to clean their Can you just imagine <laughs> washing your face with beer? That would be disgusting. I mean, it was a different time. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather wash my face with beer than, like, feces-infested water. That's true. <laughs> so let's uh, fast forward 65 perilous days. Okay. <laughs> And they see land, and they decide they're going to land, and it is current day Massachusetts is where they end up. Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock. And what they say is, there are are two theories, and I believe, I'm going to venture to guess Plymouth Rock was their kind of makeshift landing but I don't know if it's for the reason that the articles I read today suggest they say that the intended landing was Virginia Mm -hmm. however due to a lack of alcohol Mm -hmm. on board the the captain was worried he wouldn't have enough for the crew to return back to England with so he stopped early which is Plymouth Rock. Uh-huh. Other people say they stopped in Plymouth Rock because the storms were so bad they'd gotten blown off course, and that's why they landed at Plymouth Rock. Okay. Either way, the ship docked in Provincetown, <laughs> yeah. and they sent out a scouting party and eventually sailed to Plymouth, uh, where they docked the boat for the winter. Because at this point now, it's almost December, uh-huh. and it's getting quite cold, and they so the crew knew had to chill the there. crew had to stay. They weren't going to make it back. Yeah. So, while on board, they, the colonists have written a set of laws known as the Mayflower Compact. Um, on these laws, basically, they pledge allegiance to the King of England, but they also pledge allegiance that everything they do in the colony will be for the betterment of the colony. And that is what happens. They, for the most part, they set up in Plymouth. And they set up basic shelters as fast as they can to, to just be set for the winter. Uh, but the first winter is really, really difficult. Right. They are unfamiliar with the land. They're unfamiliar with the local, you know, plants and animals. So they're, they're not quite set when winter really hits. hits. And almost half of the settlers die that first winter. Wow. Right. So spring comes, and at this time, uh, the pilgrims meet the local Native Americans, um, the Wampanoag people. So prior to the winter, the pilgrims had gone out and hunted and looked for food and had come across 
some stored um, rations that the local natives had been preparing and leaving for themselves for the winter, and they they stole them. So once what six, yeah. <laughs> once spring comes, that's not the best relationship at first. Mm-hmm. However, they do have uh, a local named Squanto, mm-hmm. who could translate between the Wampanoag people and the colonists because he spoke English. And every article says this. Every YouTube video I watch states this. And I just want to know, how did Squanto That's speak what English? I was going to ask you. I was just going to say, how did he learn English? I don't know. There's no... It just, it's just stated as a fact in everything. Like, Squanto, the local native who spoke English. <laughs> like, And I'm like, but how but did how? he know English? So I don't know how he knew English. How, uh, but it, he was crucial in getting the two groups to work together. They signed a treaty to work together. And the natives showed them how to hunt the local animals, how to um, make and plant their crops, and uh, a relationship formed between these two groups. In addition to learning all of that, you know, the pilgrims had to build their entire village, and now that the weather was better, they could build actual homes and, you know, a center Mm -hmm. uh, religious uh, site. They also had to plant their fields of crops and all of this was in preparation for their second winter in right. hopes that more survivors would make it through. Yeah. And the other important thing they had to learn was how to brew their own beer in their new home. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> because there wasn't a lot left over on the boat. Right. Uh, one thing that did happen is as more boats of colonists came, mm-hmm. they were always bringing with them alcohol and supplies. Right. So it's not like they had nothing. But... It wasn't quite meeting the demands they needed. So they wanted to use what was available in America and create new alcohol and beer. And they didn't have barley. That was not a crop that they were able to grow. And they also didn't have hops, which had been used in England for flavor and also as a preservative to keep the beer better for longer. Right. So the pilgrims had to get creative with their brewing methods. And I, I found a a song that was written in a song? 1630. Are you going to sing it? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. Uh, I am going to read one verse. Okay. It says, If barley be wanting to make into malt, we shall be contented and think it no fault. For we shall make liquor to sweeten our lips of pumpkins and parsnips and walnut tree chips. And other green corn stalks we make our best beer we put it in barrels to drink all the year. That's fun. I know. I thought it was fake. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't? I was like, someone wrote this cute poem. But everything I found says it's a colonial song. Poem song that was written in 1630. So It's real cute. It's real cute. But so that's what they did. They had to find the local plants and figure out what they could ferment into alcohol. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of things that they made. Okay. Some I want to try and some not so much. So the first one is the spruce beer. This was beer made with spruce tree pieces. Okay. So they incorporated the needles and the buds of the spruce tree into the brewing process. Uh, so it was it added like the flavor of that. Mm-hmm. 
and it was pretty versatile so it would last like they could use it a couple of brews through and it was quite floral and citrusy and a little bit piney Hmm. yes so I thought that was kind of interesting and I was like I would maybe try that yeah I feel like it would be like a Christmassy ale right like a spruce tree yeah it would be Christmassy yeah uh, the second one, which I thought was crazy because I very much thought this was a modern day invention, pumpkin beer. Oh. Yes. It is not only for modern day hipsters, however. In colonial days, pilgrims used what was available and pumpkins grew very well in that part of the country and they were very like resilient. They would last for a long time so they could keep the pumpkins for a while. Uh-huh to brew the beer all year round. They would also use pumpkins for every other thing, like bread and custard. So So they were super basic. (laughs) They were so basic. (laughs) And, I mean, so ahead of their time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ahead of their time. But the one thing, they they liked the pumpkin because in order to to have a good beer, they needed something that would, like, ferment with sugar and the pumpkin provided that right kind of fermentation. It wouldn't be the kind... It's not like going to the bar and ordering, like, a pumpkin beer yeah, now, yeah. which is, like, sweet and cinnamony, and you're like, oh, it's, like, a, a nice pumpkin flavor. Like, this is, like, rotten pumpkin. Oh, sounds <laughs> great. Rotten pumpkin beer. So I don't really want to try it. No. But I, I, I can get behind the creativity. Uh, this, this next one, I mean, if you're a little bit queasy, I would just oh, no. skip through a little bit. Um, it's called cock ale. <laughs> What's it made with? Chicken. <laughs> Chicken beer? Yeah. Okay, so here's the recipe. You take eight gallons of ale, take a cock and boil him well. Then you take four pounds of raisins of the sun. What is that? I think it's raisins, like dried grapes. Two or three nutmegs. Three or four flakes of mace, which I'm pretty sure is a type of fruit. I I don't know. I should have Googled that. What you spray on people's faces to keep them away from you? Correct. (laughs) A half a pound of dates. You beat all of those spices and fruits in like a mortar and Mm -hmm. crush them. And then you put all of that with the ale and the boiled chicken. And you add in some wine. And then it says... It's getting weirder and weirder. (laughs) And when the ale hath done working, put these in and stop it, close, six or seven days. And then you bottle it. And then a month after that, you may drink it. So you're keeping a dead chicken in there for six or seven days in the barrel? It's a boiled dead chicken. It's not getting rotten? Yeah, I'm sure it is. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so disgusting. Yeah. I Uh, don't ever want to try chicken beer. Right. And it it was very popular in the 17th and 18th century in in England. Why? I don't... (laughs) Maybe we're missing out on chicken beer. Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay with missing out on that. Yeah, I am saying we don't bring that one back. No. 
Mm-mm. Yeah, that's what I... I just can't imagine... Like, the idea of a boiled chicken sitting in my beer... I mean, maybe that's where, like... But have you... I have actually heard of, like, people roasting a chicken with a can of beer. Yeah, I've heard of that, too. So, beer enhances chicken. Maybe chicken enhances <laughs> beer. I don't know. I wonder what, if they ate the chicken after. I'm sure. Why would you throw it away? The chicken would probably be fine. Because it's... For six or seven days? I, you know... They ate a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> not weird, just not what we eat today. Okay. But most likely, in all seriousness, the the biggest, most probable drink that Pilgrims made was hard apple cider. Yeah. So, uh, according to one of my sources, when the when the what the Pilgrims drank was fermented apple juice, or what we call hard cider, and that's because it was something they were used to drinking back in England. Cider was very popular in Europe at the time, and... I feel like it still is. Yeah. And where they had landed in Massachusetts, there were several native varieties of apples, mm-hmm. so it was an easy thing for them to make. Yeah. Um, because they had all the ingredients that they needed. So, in the fall of 1621, to celebrate their first successful harvest... The pilgrims threw a celebration and invited the Wampanoag people to celebrate with them. I'm sorry, there's a squirrel desperately trying to get into Laura's apartment right now, and it just like smashed its head on the window. I'm sure the recording didn't pick it up, but I heard a little conk, and it just—it so, very much wants to hang out. With I them. have a secret: in the winter, the squirrels live in that window. <laughs> they just make themselves a nest. He like is like. I want to hear more about the pilgrims. Let me in. Yeah, he's into it. He's <laughs> trying to build his nest right now before it gets too cold. All right, sorry. Back to the first Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. So the the pilgrims throw this celebration. They invite the Wampanoag people to celebrate them. And for three days, the two groups come together. They eat local food that they've hunted, deer. They fish in the rivers and the harbor. Uh, they play games and they drink together and that is officially known as the first thanksgiving there was no football there are no parades to no watch turkey, right no turkey um, but we can assume that there was drunkenness and probably family feuds yeah yeah it's been there since the beginning <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it took almost 200 years but in 1863 abraham lincoln made the last thursday of november the official thanksgiving holiday based on the celebrations of the first colonists. But for almost 200 years, it was not a holiday that wow. we recognized. It wasn't until 1863. I didn't realize that it took that long, actually. Yeah. That's interesting. I know. So that's the story of the first Thanksgiving and the, the beer of our founding pilgrims. First breweries. Yeah, first brewery right there. Make chicken rock. beer. So <laughs> I read two really interesting articles. One was by um, a guy named Andrew Ede, and it was beer played an important part in pilgrim life. And then the second from a website that I'm very glad I found because I was so inspired for future episodes. Oh. But it's called alcoholprofessor.com. Oh, wow. I know. And the article was called Washing Down the First Thanksgiving. And cool. so I got lots of information from them, but that second website is definitely one I bookmarked for yeah, future episodes. Yeah, I bet there's some really good stories on there. Really good stuff. So Probably a lot of history stuff like you do. 
yeah. not murder stuff like I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the best I of both worlds sometimes too. <laughs> yeah, but so Thanksgiving. Interesting. I I love that beer has just been an important a part an important part of America since since pilgrims first got here yeah <laughs> they were like oh we're running low on beer this is your stop <laughs> like i'd like to believe that theory yeah i like that theory better but it's probably they got off track yeah but but i do i do like the idea of being like oh no no, no. we need to preserve the beer please get off <laughs> i just wonder like had they not landed in plymouth and they had made it to virginia like, our entire country would be different, right? I know. Because there wouldn't be... Well, when was Roanoke? Was that before or after this? I believe it was before. That was in Virginia. Yeah. Didn't was well. there? I mean, these aren't the first people to America, right? right? right there right, are yeah, explorers yeah. and things. Mm-hmm. But this is the first, like, big settlement. Colonists. Roanoke might be after. No, because it's like the hidden... It's like they came and then they left and they were gone. Mm-hmm. And that's why we credit... Like, Plymouth Colony is, like, the first. Yeah. It's something like that. I should know this. I know. You're, you're the teacher here. <laughs> um, that's why I asked Yeah, Roanoke you. was before. They say it is in 1587, so this was, like, 30 years after that. I thought Roanoke was earlier, but I guess they just don't know what happened to those people. Yeah. And I guess they were sending the Mayflower to start again. Yes. So maybe it's a good thing that they ended up yeah. in a different place. You never know. Yeah. I mean, I watched that season of American Horror Story. <laughs> you did. That was the one season you watched. <laughs> it was the one season I watched. <laughs> Not so. the best one, though. No. You should go back and watch the better ones. Okay. <laughs> We've already Sounds discussed. like something you'll do. <laughs> We've discussed my love of scary things. Well, that was an episode. It was an episode. There were... Some real downers and some uppers and celebration. So it's very similar to life. Yeah. (laughs) And we shouldn't be saying that was an episode because we're not done yet. No, we still have our bar of the week. Change things up with you introducing it. I know. I never introduce it. It feels really unnatural. (laughs) (laughs) Some things are just meant for you. (laughs) But this is the point in the episode in which we introduce a bar or cocktail of the week. It is. You're saying it very excitedly. I Well, I'm excited about <laughs> so, this bar we went to. Yeah, which we just went to actually the other day, which is weird for us, because I feel like we usually talk about bars that like we've been to in the past. This one's very recent. We yes. just went there. Yes. It's called Ampersand. Ampersand. I <laughs> no, it's talk. not. Ampersand. Ampersand. <laughs> it's called Ampersand, like the symbol. Yep. And it actually is the actual symbol. Yes. How the bar is noted on its sign. Yes. And we had actually planned to go to a Christmas-themed bar. And, of course, the season, we didn't think about the fact that it would be super crowded. So we Googled some places in the area. We were in the Gramercy area of New York City. And we came across this bar. And I'm so glad we did because it was pretty cool. Yeah, it it just had a really good vibe to it. Yeah. Very date night friendly. Yeah, it was like dimly lit, candles. We were on like a four-person girl date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this ladies' night. And I 
really appreciated the fact that it seemed like if you were in the bar, you had to be seated. So you I were either at a table or seated at the bar. There wasn't, like, tons of people standing and, like, making it feel overly crowded. Right, or people bumping into you over right. and over again. So I did appreciate that we, like, it kind of was like a bar rule. Like, they didn't serve you if you didn't have a space. Right. So that was, it was nice. Yeah. And so when we were ordering our cocktails, the cocktail menu is actually really extensive. They have a lot of options. And I think I, like, got overwhelmed because I wasn't ready yet. And our friend ordered a mojito. And I was like, that sounds good. I'll have a mojito, too. Which, like, feels like a very summer drink. So it was a little bit weird to be ordering and drinking a mojito. But it was delicious. So much so that I got a second one. It's funny you say that because I, too, ordered a drink that's very out of season. Yeah. right now. Uh Uh-huh. I... My first drink, anyways. My second drink was very in-season. Yes. But my first drink I ordered was, like, a spicy margarita. Uh-huh. And it just felt like the right call for the week I'd had. Like, yeah. <laughs> I needed to start with some tequila. Uh-huh. And so it was, like, a jalapeno tequila, and it had, like, mango and passion fruit and a, a chili rim. Was it very spicy? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I feel like that's delicious, but I would have been too scared to order it because I would have thought it was too spicy, but so I'm glad to know that it wasn't. It was not. It was quite refreshing and delicious. Okay. But then I changed it up, and my second drink, I got a drink with bourbon. Yeah. A very similar to a regular old-fashioned, uh-huh. which is more my style. Yeah. And very much more a fall-appropriate drink. I just kept going with the mojitos. Yeah. But... It was really cute. Again, probably a really good date spot. So if you're ever in the area and you need either a date spot or, you know, just to hang out with your your gals kind of night, ampersand. 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 (laughs) There's no T. Stand. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can go to ampersand with Vanessa or you can go to ampersand and enjoy great cocktails. I don't know why I can't say it correctly. Right. And another thing, I know we mentioned that their menu is very diverse, but I really loved how they had it split up. Yeah. They had, you know, one page was seasonal drinks and one page was bourbon drinks, one page was vodka drinks. And so it just really helps you kind of decide what type of mood you're in. Yeah. And then I wanted tequila, so I found the tequila page. And then they had multiple tequila drinks, and I could have my choice. I just appreciate the, like, thoughtfulness that went into their menu design. I agree. All right, guys. Well, that was another episode. Now we can say that was an episode. Yes. So you, if you want to follow along with us and see some of the images of some of the things that we talked about, you should go to our social media. Again, it's at a tap on the wrist on Instagram and Twitter. And you can send us suggestions for future podcasts. We are tapontheristpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and look out for some of those giveaways for some stickers. Yes. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about before we we leave? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Oh, I am staying here in New York, and I'm going to a friend's house, and I'm looking forward to just eating all the all the foods and drinking all the drinks and Uh doing a little bit of shopping and just relaxing. 
What nice. about you? Um, well, last year, my parents and I decided to hightail it out of New York and go to D.C. and, like, do a little mini family trip. And it was really nice. We found a restaurant that did a really good Thanksgiving dinner, and we didn't have to worry about the cooking or the cleanup especially, and we really liked that. So we're doing that again this year. It's become like a little tradition. Nice. Yeah. Well, happy Thanksgiving to all of you listening. Yes. Enjoy your day. Your foods. Eat all your foods. Have some stuffing, some turkey. And make sure you have a drink. Yep. Cheers, guys. Cheers.